Hey, you're listening to the Beyond Podcast with your host, Timmy Riggs. Uh, we have been talking about audacious faith. We are in a series called Audacious Faith, where Pastor Rick has been leading us through what it looks like uh, to live a life of audacious faith. And uh, this past week, we talked about complete trust. And he went over a passage of scripture that sometimes it seems really clear, but also can seem really confusing at the same time. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today with my good friend and fellow pastor, Casey Myers. So I hope you enjoy and uh, um, you can share it if you do. All right. Thanks. All right. Hey, uh, I'm here with Casey Myers, uh, one of our youth pastors and one of the smartest guys I know. So Casey, thanks for jumping on with me, dude. Oh boy. Smartest guys. It's true. That's yeah. tough. That's what I tell people. I was just telling someone the other day because they were, and this was actually in the podcast with Kate last week, but someone was like, hey, you uh, you guys know the Myers. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, someone in the church told me that you guys are basically like attached at the hip. And uh, I was like, yes, that's absolutely true. I was like, it's really good. We have a really great relationship because um, Casey's so smart. So he's like my smart friend. I was like, and I'm his dumb friend. So we no, help no. bring each other up and keep that's each other true. grounded. Tim is just saying that. That's um, very nice. Thank but you. anyway, so yeah, so I'm here with Casey and let me uh, help you guys know who Casey is a little bit. Uh, Casey and I have said it so many times in different uh, platforms and stuff, but we were freshman roommates and uh, Casey right out, right out the gate was uh, definitely more in tune theologically with kind of what the goal was to through our theological practice and what it looks like to be a pastor, and I wasn't. Um, but I feel like I still learned a lot from you, even in those early days. And then we went through college like no, most people do. You know, we were friends, but we had different friend groups. And we graduate, and we go on with our lives. And then we, I moved back here, and, and you and I have really grown extremely close. So and, true. Um, and have helped each other in so many ways. And I truly do. I think that both of us have different perspectives when it comes to scripture and theology that I think most of the time can, can kind of help scratch each other's backs. I do love anytime I'm writing a sermon, whether it's for Sunday night or Wednesday night, kind of checking with you and just saying, hey, is this, am I right here? You know? And, um, and so that's always, that's always good for us and uh, good for me big time. So thank you so much for that. Um, real quick, can you just give us a, like, I didn't tell you this part, but kind of how God led you to getting to this point in your life and your ministry, really just a quick synopsis of your call. Yeah, sure. Um, man, it was kind of all throughout high school, a process of figuring out what was next. And uh, it's one of the honors of being in youth ministry now is helping students uh, move through that period of honestly huge transition. And so um, in high school, I felt a call to ministry at a pretty ordinary Wednesday night service. And um that led me to SNU, and SNU led me to here, interning here for two years, and um, somehow, magically, not magically, through the incredible uh, grace of God, I was able to be here and, and be a minister here. So that's the super quick synopsis, Yeah, it sure right? is, but that's good. And that's the thing. So what, what I want to, when I talk about you being, you know, way smarter than me and things like that, I think one of the things, if we're really being serious, you're a great student. So you are, you are well read. Um, one of the things that you even helped me on, we'll, we'll read books together or different books, but we'll share kind of what we're reading. And uh, you'll always come back and be able to regurgitate a lot of what you have read. And I'm like, well, the gist of what this guy was saying, and I'll say like two lines. And basically for you, you're just really good. At, you, you take notes. You want to you know, soak up what you're really reading. And um, so much of what you learned in 
in our theological training hasn't been lost on you. And I think that that's what really helps when you jump into scripture, you're able to refer back to many of the things that you learned. And so, well, in pastor Rick's message, not to like jump in before we've, we've jumped no, in, you it. know, but whenever he talked about centennials, the three things they wish they had done more, uh, the first thing he said was reflect more. And I was like, I am doing so good. Like I am constantly <laughs> reflecting. And then the next two things I was like not doing as well at, and I was actually sitting next to Timmy in second service. Whenever it said, take more risks, Tim was like, yeah, like said it out loud. And Speaking I was like, my language. so there are two different kinds of wisdoms and Timmy and I live in those two different wisdoms. I think that's what's made us such good and friends. And I had to so. lean over and say, what's a centennial? <laughs> that's yeah dude, i literally at first I had to google it until he said it you know like um so that's what i'm talking about uh well that's really good so let's kind of what i want us to do is we're going to continue the conversation uh from pastor rick's message and and really we're just going to dive into the scripture and talk through it a little bit and i think it'll be really helpful for me and i think it'll be helpful for others listening but first of all just to recap maybe if you haven't heard Pastor Rick's message, I would encourage you to go uh, listen to it at bethanynaz.org slash watch. You can watch it in the archives, or you can go to YouTube, Bethany Naz, and uh, go ahead and watch this sermon. But the ultimate point was complete trust. So if we're living in audacious faith, Jesus did that. Jesus lived in audacious faith. And so he, we're in the Lenten season, you know, um, as we journey towards the cross. And so one of the things that the disciples could really get on board about and get excited about was that Jesus was saying, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem and uh, ultimately, like, my kingdom will be established. That's fun. That's exciting. And uh, the hard part, though, was that then he goes on to say, and there, I, you know, the Son of Man will be uh, mistreated, beaten up, killed, and um, will then eventually does even well i'll actually have you read the scripture in a second sure. but that is the part where peter says no way not at all and that we're not going to let that happen and uh then jesus literally says satan get behind me you know because it's not the way of god and uh and so pastor rick really just walks through that and he says one of the things i like when he quotes isaiah you know we do not have the concerns of God. We can't think the way that God thinks. Um, and I think sometimes it's scary to step out in audacious faith because maybe we see the things that make us fearful. Or maybe it's, well, God, that's not how I intended it to work out, you know. Um, but yet he's saying, hey, the ultimate way to get to a full life, because that's the goal and that's what Jesus is leading us to, is the way of the cross. And he talks about the reasons to take up our cross and just saying, hey, I want to truly live. I, I want to value my soul and I want to stand with Jesus. And so he gets us to that point of saying, hey, if we want to be disciples of Christ, we also have to pick up our cross. So that was a really quick version of Rick's message. So what I want you to do is read the passage and uh, we'll really just say, hey, what does that mean to you? And go from there. Sure. Yeah. So it was Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. And it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Yeah, that's so good. And I think it's easy if you've been in the church a long time, if you've grown up in the church, to be like, oh, praise God, what a strong passage. But I think right. if you're someone who is not as um, in tune with Christianity and you have questions, hey, what is this life all about? Um, how do I live a full life? And you hear, oh, deny yourself. Oh, pick up your cross. Oh, step into suffering, you know? And especially even that passage, even some of the rewards in that passage could sound sure. really confusing. So um, let's talk about that. And I know that was kind of like a, a shotgun question, but I know for you, there's a lot going on here when you read this and, and you think back to what you know. So you start and I'll kind of walk us through, right? So what comes to mind? What are the major things that stand out for you in this passage? Yeah, so Rick said it really well in the sermon. Right before he read the passage, he said, we're kind of jumping in right in the middle of the story. And that is, I think, maybe one of the best ways of describing any time we just read one passage, you're, you're kind of like right there in the middle of the story, like Star Wars for action. Like that's where Star Wars started. You're starting at A New Hope. You know, you don't have any context and you don't have any, you have no clue where it's headed. You know? And I think that's one thing that you have really helped shape in my preaching. You know, anytime I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this passage? And you're like, yeah, well you're right in some of the things you're pulling, but actually you also need to step back to see what was going on here and what Paul was referring to there or whatever, you know? And so that is one thing you've really helped me. And I think in general would help a lot of believers as well. So anyway, go ahead. so not even pulling all the way back to the beginning of Matthew, but even just the beginning of the chapter, we hear from Jesus a warning to the disciples. And that warning is about the yeast of the Pharisees. And so the disciples, it's hard to be harsh on the disciples. Like it's, it's not hard. It's actually really easy to be like brutal to the disciples until we remember that we also <laughs> are disciples of Jesus. So like, you know, it is, they, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. It's easy to kind of harp on them, but that's that's us too. So we don't always understand what Jesus is saying. And that's just a good right. default to have. When yeah. you go towards scripture, like, it's easier for me to actually take that place of like, I don't get it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, right. No, it's so true. So I, um, that, that warning is be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They don't all the way understand, and Jesus begins to unpack that, but... That, um, really what we can take from that is that there is something to be cautious of. So, uh, in, in the world of becoming more like Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, uh, there are, there are warning posts. There are things that we should beware of. The metaphor that Jesus is using of yeast is that it just takes a little bit of yeast in the bread for it to severely expand. And so, even just taking a little bit of what the Pharisees and Sadducees have can slowly grow into something bigger than we could have ever imagined. And so in a negative way. In a negative way, right, in a negative way. So uh, it's interesting that it starts that way in chapter 16 and 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 Rick kind of walks through a little bit of 16 before the before the passage that we just read, but about P 
Peter actually declaring Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. So chapter 16 and 17 are chock full of Peter. So there's a lot of what's going on in Peter's mind. Why is he saying the things that he's saying? And then, of course, the response of Jesus. And the response of Jesus is remarkable. So whenever Jesus asks the disciples, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Uh, Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus' response couldn't be different than what we hear a couple verses down, get behind me, Satan. Jesus' response is actually phenomenal. It says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So, you know, to be so close together, whether or not these things happened exactly, you know, chronologically right next to each other, um, to be so close together, we get really different descriptions of who Peter is. Peter is the rock of the church, and Peter is Satan. And so there's a lot to, like, work through there, You right, you know? So, so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so really, the practical, if you're, you're preaching, is the, the hope that we have in that hey, we're disciples as well, and right. we are like them. It's easy to pick on them, but we're just like them. Mm-hmm. And then it's also this, God has called us, but we can also be, we can also be like Satan. Right. Like, yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I love what Rick did in his, in his sermon talking and kind of referring back further into Matthew, right? Because the scripture interprets scripture. Anytime you're not understanding that passage, going back and reading a bigger portion of it can always be helpful, giving you context. And so That's he really goes, good. say it again, scripture, interpret scripture, scripture, interpret scripture. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Going back, reading more always gives you context for the thing that you're reading um, or for the passage that I've you're reading. Heard it, um, to understand the text, you have to get context. Right. So yeah, more and more. Like, yeah. Same principle. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And so I love that he refers back to that encounter that Jesus has with Satan in Matthew four, because there's a specific temptation, the temptation to not have to suffer, but still have kingdom, still have reign over the world, um, which is stepping outside of what God's called Jesus to do in this. God the Father has called Jesus to do in this moment in time. So that's the reference to Satan, which all is— All the way to when he went to the desert. All the way, exactly, right. And That's good. And another really interesting thing is the first call of Peter in Matthew 4, it— it, it doesn't do it exactly in the English, but in the in the Koine Greek, get behind me are the exact same words that he uses to Peter whenever he's asking him to follow him. So come and follow me and get behind me are are the same. And that's, to me, that's a lot of the point of this is that following Jesus, he's, he's Jesus is giving Peter the tools to follow him and showing him how it is that we are to follow him. You know, what is it, what does it really mean to become more like Jesus? And so, yes, the description of Satan is strong, but even more than that, it's the same words that he calls, that he calls Peter with, you know, that's kind of cool. Awesome, dude. See, so, this is what I'm talking about. No, this no, is no. What, no, 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 no. I, I read okay. somebody. It's I read okay. somebody say that. Yeah, so. but I didn't, you know? <laughs> so that is, um, that's so good. And really that is, um, today when I, when I guest lectured <laughs> in a 
classroom. Um, I does that make me sound so fancy? Yeah, I was, you, you should put that on your resume. Guest lecture. Yeah, it really um, is a significant thing. It was cool. fun. Yeah, uh, I got to guest lecture a small gen ed class at SNU, but really fun. Um, so what I love to talk about repentance is so often that that word just sounds so harsh and i've said it a hundred times that ultimately hey repentance shouldn't sound as harsh as it does because repentance a was a nautical term in the greek that just meant we're going to take our ship 180 degrees so we're going to change directions and ultimately when jesus when he talks about sin sin is missing the marks that's the archery term of missing a mark there is a mark for us when we miss it that is sin right so what we have to do is then change direction back to make sure it's at the right mark. And so when Jesus says, this is whatever the language is for get behind me, it's, hey, if you're following me, we're going to hit the mark. Mm-hmm. And so it is w- repent and get in line with me because I'm going to take you the right direction. And the beautiful part is you don't have to figure out the direction. Right. Is that Jesus is leading you if you choose to get behind him. So that's really good. So in our, um, in our call to follow in our call to repentance, it's all the same. I think that's really good because we think that uh, I can understand that God loves me. I can also understand when he's mad at me. Yes, but that doesn't get rid of his love. And right. mad's not a good word. I think the desire for us to be transformed is better. Mm-hmm. But like it is the his love is what fuels that passion for us to get in line with him. So anyway, that's no, kinda, no, I, that's what great. I love, that connection. You I think that's what's so powerful about it too is that – and. Matthew 4, whenever he encounters Peter for the first time, the come and follow me is an initial command. This is, uh, I wouldn't say gentle because it's followed by Satan, a really strong reminder that it's behind me. It's not in front of me. You know, like oh, it's it's a kind of strong, like... Preach, come on, church. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, it really is. Okay, sorry. I don't want to... No, no, no. I think that's... And I think that's exactly what repentance is, right? So whenever we are following Jesus and we and we are no longer, whether we're trying to get ahead of him or we steer off course, however you want to describe it, it's that strong reminder of whenever it's in the wake of, literally in God's wake, in right there behind following in line with Jesus, we we become more like him. That's so, so good. Okay, yeah. so that's the that was kind of addressing the Satan part. We kind of hit that right yeah. up front. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so was there anything else that stuck up or stuck out to you, maybe the context? I think you even said... It's even helpful to go on to 18. Oh, for sure. Well, into 17, really. And so oh, yes. so for Peter to have just been described as Satan, and then also to, in Matthew 17, we read about the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, Peter is one of the three disciples invited to the Mount to see that occur. And really briefly, if you've never read the text before, Jesus takes three disciples. It's Peter, James, and John, and they go up onto a mountain and... Right before their eyes, Jesus is transfigured into a dazzling white. And he's there in the presence of the of Moses and Elijah, who are essentially uh, who are who are who are really just resembling uh their symbols of the prophets and the law. And so all of God's interaction with God's creation is there on the mountain with Moses, with Elijah, and with Jesus. And so they're there together in this really incredible moment. To be a human on this mountain of, of God is a pretty fascinating, like three people were there, you know, and they weren't supposed to tell anybody, but they tell everybody. It's in, it's in the Bible, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> Literally and, billions of people. 
So to consider that Peter is declaring Jesus as the Son of God, is described as Satan, and then is up on a mountain with Jesus, I think it helps us put into context what Jesus is doing. It kind of reaffirms that what get behind me means. And so being behind Jesus on the trail to the mountain, you can only imagine them in the light of Jesus, that light reflecting off of them, him becoming more like Jesus. And it's not, you know, whenever Jesus describes it in, in Matthew 16 as, as uh, denying yourself, picking up your cross, it, it's, it's not as exciting as the dazzling white of the mountain, you know. Um, but it's actually in that process that we, that we become more like Jesus. And so we can talk all you want about denying yourself, about bearing the cross. I just like hearing about Peter in these three different circumstances because it helps you know he's a whole human. You know, there's, there's so much going on in his life as a follower of Jesus that to take just that one text is, is really difficult. And, and I think that's what I love about Pastor Rick is like he is always pointing back. I think he's so, mm-hmm. so good at it. Yeah, so. always with such a desire to stay mm-hmm. faithful to the text, you know. Um, well, I mean, we, we love Pastor Rick. Anyway, um, so I think that that's good because I think I feel like there's just so much hope in what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And so often, yeah, it can just be this like scary thing or reading it you get really confused or when you hear about satan so many different even rick you know kind of made the joke hey, i'm gonna say the s word here say right and i think right. because there's so many weird like mm-hmm. views and theologies on what that means right and, and mm-hmm. the ob- most obvious one is some you know guy with a tail and and uh thorns and sure. t- right so like which is it's been created as a caricature yet has somehow actually become people's view right but really it is this hey there is an opposition to what god is doing right the scary part is and not to be so harsh is that we could be called by god doing everything we can to try to follow him and yet still sometimes be a part of the opposition to his kingdom which i think is like wow i need to have perspective on maybe literally everything that's ever happening in the world and and try to step back and say okay before i just throw out my viewpoint or before i just say well this political group is wrong and this one's politically right or whatever you know i'm just giving examples here i don't want anybody's blood pressure to get too high but (laughs) but but seriously is how do i step back and as a member of the kingdom of god first i I love my country i love my people i love whatever but as a member of the kingdom of god how do i do what i need to do to make sure i'm behind jesus right and (sighs) yeah i think that's such a strong point too because Timmy and I took a class on the Gospel of Mark, and we read a book called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. And it's a play on on what we read in Ephesians, right? Salvation by grace through faith. Except that this author translates faith as allegiance. And so for our allegiances, only through the grace of God, it can't happen any other way, but for our allegiances to be in line with the kingdom of God, I think that's such a strong word. I think it changes the way that I hear audacious faith almost, you know, audacious allegiance, like whatever it takes, I am a follower of the kingdom of God. Like that's, that's who I am. I'm a follower of God, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I am about bringing the kingdom of God in heaven, as it is in heaven on earth, you know, just that constant reminder of we are following Jesus. There is, there is nothing else. That's so good. I would recommend two books when it comes to that. Um, 
and one is C.S. Lewis's Just Mere Christianity. It's a classic, been around for a while, and I feel like he does such a good job. At, That's one you've read that I've never read. Yeah, he talks about uh, that and how that connects to our regular day living, you know, what it's like to have a job and marriage and relationships and hobbies and to care about your country and all these things, right? And so uh, and in, in light of first, my allegiance goes to the kingdom of God. Um, and the second one, and it's a little bit different. It's not completely everything we're talking about here, but Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Oh, and man, that, sure. You know, that is just one book that has in so many ways shaped what it means to bring heaven to earth for me, you know, and I love it. Um, so that's really good. We have spent a lot of time on this, but I think that that's really great. Um, and it's just flowing like honey from the promised land. Um, so, I, I mean, I love sitting here talking with you about this stuff. So let's get into, um, man, I was going to say, let's talk about the cross and spend the next 18 hours uh, picking that. But I did want to, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, like, what does picking up our cross look like? Um, throughout the years, there has been so many different ways. I mean, you can spin the gospel, so many people do, and whether it's a poverty gospel, prosperity gospel, you know, um, or name all the other ones, I can't even think, and yet somehow they all kind of come together. So mm. from your knowledge and study and faithfulness, when you hear, hey, pick up your cross and follow me, so another direction of, hey, follow me, uh, what comes to mind? How do we live into it? Yeah, I think that we're in the perfect season for it. And like, I feel like I'm just bragging on Pastor Rick the whole time. Like Good, yeah, he's always, he is always so aware of where we are as a global church. And so all over the world, um, churches are in the season of Lent. And, and Timmy referenced it bef- before in this podcast that the season of Lent is journeying with Jesus to the cross. And so it begins on Ash Wednesday and it moves through Holy Week into Good Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. And that's that's the whole of the season of Lent, is that it, it, it ends in in, in victory, in, in the resurrection. But the journey with Jesus to the cross is obviously, um, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult to come come to grips with because it, it at the same time that we're recognizing the grace of God we're, we're also coming with the gravity of sin and as we work with that grace and gravity and figure out how they interact with one another um, it it empowers us to recognize just what Jesus is picking up in his cross um, and so picking up the cross the mantle of Jesus is is just that is like we've been talking about following Jesus. It's, it's actually, I, I can't separate them. Following Jesus is picking up the cross. There is no, there is no real separation between the two. And so, um, yeah, it's a really strong image because we know that that's where Jesus's life leads to. It leads to the cross. And so, and this really beautiful image of the incarnation of Jesus becoming human uh, and then dying as a human and then being raised to new life in in God by the power of the spirit it's this beautiful movement and motion in which the sinner you know I talk about it all the time I think there's a reason that Christianity's central symbol is the cross it is this place where Jesus becomes all the way just like us while still maintaining being totally God and so it's this it's this place where we meet Jesus and we, we sang it this last Sunday at the, at the feet of the cross, you know? And so I think that 
at that place of what is often shame of guilt. It's considered those sorts of things. The cross is kind of is kind of tied to those things. It's actually Jesus flips the script of the cross because it's actually the death of death. It's the death of those things. It's not it's not that thing itself, you know. And so and and I mean that's really the gospel is constantly flipping what we thought was, you know, we call it the upside down kingdom of God all the time. And that's, that's the way things are. Things are kind of upside down for us. And so, and it's a good thing. It's a, we, we should be excited and, and I don't know, we should be excited that those things are upside down, that things are, are not the way they seem, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that is really good because that is the point of, well, why the cross, you know? And, and I was reading, uh, Moltman, what's his first name? Jürgen. Jürgen. Um, I was reading Jürgen Moltmann on a plane one day for a class, and uh, he ends up getting to the cross. It, the book is called Crucified God. But let me back all the way back up. Oftentimes when you hear, you hear like, hey, God created everything and it was good, you know, but there, for there to be freedom, there had to be choice. So for freedom, you know, and true love, or for there to be true love, there had to be freedom of choice. And um, we were given everything that was good, but but humans made a mistake. Something went haywire, and God had to fix his ultimate plan. And I've said that. And then I was like, no, no, no. God didn't have to fix. That was his plan. Mm -hmm. God knew that for there to be love, there had to be freedom of choice, and that there was going to be error, wrong, and sin. That didn't surprise him. It didn't throw him off. And so when we say from the very beginning of time, the cross was the point, he knew everything was going to lead up to that. So then you get to this point to the cross and moment I'm reading and he just says for Jesus, the cross was the point where imagine, you know, your, your biggest camp high. I'll use, these are my words. Um, your biggest moment where you're like, wow, I felt God. He's real. He's moving. I see him. Okay. That sometimes is is momentary for us. There are plenty of times as a human, there's times where that you're there. And then there's times where you're like, is, is this real Mm -hmm. for Jesus? He was born into, he only knew one thing and that was God, his relationship with God. God is moving. God is acting. And so he always maintained that relationship. And yet at the cross, because that moment where Jesus as God takes on the sins of the world, that relationship was different. Hmm. for that moment. So when he talks about the fit God turning, you know, right. and the words of Jesus, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is that moment where, A, Jesus has gone from a intimate, connected relationship with the Father that we only now have through Jesus, and that was his full-time life, mm-hmm. okay, and full-time, you know, spirituality, to taking on the worst of the worst of the worst emotions, feeling, shame, sin, everything violence of humanity mm-hmm. so a total flip and it was the first time i ever read a theology book and was crying like i just and i'm not a crier you know i say i'm not a crier and then i tell all these stories about me you're crying. a weeper so, yeah. yeah and i was like it just hit me in the way he wrote it that jesus that is the like you said the full breath of humanity and so you think to yourself that's when we say when you are at your loneliest when you're at in the middle of your sin when you are in depression, when you have anxiety, God is there. How can you say that? We have to look no further than the cross mm-hmm. because Jesus felt it and he wore it with us. And the cross is, I don't know, there's so many diagrams we were taught, you know, but that kind of U-shaped thing and at the cross, at the death, 
it it looks like it's at the bottom but as you said beat death by death comes out the other side mm-hmm. and we now have that same opportunity and that same option right and so that when i think about the cross i mean that's what always sticks out to me is that the worst of the worst of all humanity was taken out at the cross mm-hmm. and it wasn't god taking it out on jesus it was sin it was the the opposition yeah. right and yet because sometimes it can be oh the wrath of god punished you know and it's like it was and there's that's a long theological conversation that you can, <laughs> looks like you could clean up um for me but basically it was this restoring all things right and jesus really taking on do you want to add anything to that i feel like no that's okay. great it's i think i think that it's i think that we hear it best I hear it really, really well whenever Rick talks about open arms because we use it as a hospitality image, like you know, like anytime you open your arms, somebody's Get gonna fall into him. You know, somebody's <laughs> gonna, yeah, right. <laughs> like somebody's gonna fall into him, and he kind of uses that example for that. But Rick's also preached it that as we open our arms, we're we're just starting to look more and more like Jesus, and we're looking more and more like Jesus on the cross. You know, as our arms open more and more, that's that is the bearing of the cross, that there isn't anyone who isn't within the, you know, the arm span of Jesus. So it's kind of a special vulnerable state of acceptance and welcomeness. It's remarkable, man. So really good. We, you know, we, um, could, I seriously feel like talk for a long time. And these are, these are deep theological conversations and also really practical. And, um, but I feel like we were able to scratch the surface of some today. And obviously, like you said, even bring a little bit more clarity to Pastor Rick's message. And and that's our heart behind this. And, um, I think also for us, you know, our compliments and the things that we say of Pastor Rick, you know, they're not, we don't say them lightly, like we really mean them. And and for Casey, you know, his, Casey's deep understanding theologically and to just help us understand how deep Pester Rick is, you know, and mm-hmm. um, all that. I think that's awesome. But anyway, dude, thanks for jumping on. And we try to keep it around 30 minutes of just a little bit beyond the sermon. And uh, I, I had fun and even learned stuff. So thank you, dude. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, well, hey, thanks for listening to the Beyond Podcast, and uh, I really enjoyed sitting down with Pastor Casey today. I hope that this was exciting, helpful, uh, maybe even helped you find some clarity on maybe any some questions that you had about Scripture. But uh, like we always say, this is something that we want you to be able to share with people that are asking these kinds of questions, and so uh, do not hesitate to share. And if you're looking for any other content, you can find uh, any information we have on our website, BethanyNaz.com. Or you can check out our Instagram at Bethany Naz, our YouTube channel, Bethany Naz, or our Facebook, Bethany First Church in Nazarene. We love you guys, and uh, we're so thankful for your taking the time to listen with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.